Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 178. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers, and thanks so much for tuning in to yet another episode. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. This week, I'm excited to bring back on our guest, David Thompson. David first aired on the podcast back in episode 50, and if you didn't check that one out, really special episode. I'd highly suggest you go back and listen to that, but if you don't do that before this one, you're not going to miss a ton of new content here as David's just revisiting some market updates and his niche of capital raising, which I find really interesting, and quite frankly, I didn't realize it was a niche in the apartment investing industry until oh, maybe about a year ago. So this is a new world to me as well. David shares some really cool and insightful tips on how you can get started investing in real estate by raising capital for other people's deals. So let's jump into this week's episode with David Thompson. All right, today, welcome back on the show, Mr. David Thompson. David, hey, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hi, Jacob. Great for having me again. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. Well, hey, we were just talking before the show started, and you first aired on episode 50. We're now in episode 180 range right now at the time of this release. So it's been a little over a year ago, so a lot's changed with you. Just wanted to catch back up with you, see what's new in your world. I know you're always up to a lot of new and exciting things, but before we get into all that, maybe the people who didn't catch episode 50, just kind of give us a recap on your story your journey and your experience in the world of real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I want to say we're now Thompson Investing as a company is a little over three years old. It's gone like a whirlwind. It's exciting. I have a lot of fun with it. It seems like I've been doing it a long time when I look back, but maybe that'll be a motivation for some of your readers that this can happen pretty fast, right? Yeah. And with the right uh, folks you're working with. So I left corporate America in uh, September, 2015. I had worked uh, with very uh, high-tech companies around the country and had some great assignments and great people I worked with. But it was kind of time. I was feeling kind of itching to do something. My wife and I had got some single-family uh, homes here in Austin, Texas, where I'm from. And then we were looking at uh, some small multifamily in San Antonio, duplexes and fourplexes. I think that's a, a way a lot of people started real estate. Yeah. And to get the bug, you know, and start seeing, hey, you know, if I can do this and this and this over a period of time. I got a little frustrated with the progress, though, because it required me to have a W-2. <laughs> Right, a W-2 job. And I was like, well, to get loans. But then I read a book about syndication and how I can get other people's money, including myself, but I wouldn't have to do it all by myself. And I could leverage that 
into larger properties. And in five units or more, I didn't need that W-2. I could, it's based on the income of the property. That was really something that I was locked onto. I was like, wow, okay. I had two daughters. Um, one was in college and one was in high school. And so they're doing well and independent. I'm like, I, this might be a good time to start an entrepreneurial pursuit. My wife was supportive. Obviously, it's not always an interesting discussion the first time you talk about leaving <laughs> a very secure <laughs> position, but it was time. And I, I was kind of feeling like I wasn't getting the best of myself out there. So as this real estate thing fanned, I, I met somebody that was into syndication, doing syndication. And uh, I essentially was going to mentor with that person, which I did. I started kind of a mentoring program with them with the aspirations of buying a small apartment complex with maybe some partners in mind. I realized that was going to take some time and it was a big game. <laughs> it was a big boy and girl's game. And it was like, it was going to take longer. Yeah, I could buy an eight unit, maybe a 12, return, you know, maybe trade up. But as I was getting a little longer in the years, I'm like, how do I do this faster? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because right. I was talking to these people, they were fairly young people. And I was like, how can they take down 300 unit apartments? You know? So I got really locked into that and uh, started working for them and, and you know, just basically asked how I could help that uh, group. And they said, well, maybe one of the things you can do is we just got this big apartment in Dallas, Texas, a 320 unit. Why don't you, uh, the mentoring part of the mentoring program was learning how to raise capital. And they said, well, you know, maybe you have some contacts in Austin. You've been there a while and see how you do it. That. Well, it did a much better than I thought. In the first deal, I raised a million dollars with 13 investors to help them to acquire that apartment community. So I felt I was part of a team. I could add value. I learned a ton. You know, you had to do due diligence with the operator. You learn a lot about the process. I'm like, that's what I was, that's what I was there for anyway, right? To learn. So my experiences grew really fast because investors had questions. Yes. <laughs> I had to go research and figure out. So I was also part of the general partnership team, which was cool. I was going to get compensation through, the, through that process. And uh, my wife was happy about that. And it just basically snowballed from there. I, I realized that was a part I could play it and add value to a team. Certainly, I, le I learned underwriting and certainly learned some other aspects of the business. But that wasn't something I loved to do. I didn't see myself sitting behind spreadsheets or going out and bird dogging and looking for properties for people. They already had those kind of folks in place. And I was like, well, this is one place that everybody needs capital, it seemed like. So <laughs> I kept doing it. And uh, I've done now 20 plus deals over three years. Still work with that company. I've since branched off and uh, work with uh, several operator partners. I call them partners because they're long-term. They're aligned with my interests. And we've done um, not only apartments now, we do self-storage and mobile home parks. So in three years, well, this year we're culminating. I just did some calculations. But someone was asking how my de the deal went. I have a newsletter. I'm putting out information. I said, well, we, we did 13 deals this year. Nine apartments, three self-storage, one mobile home park. We sponsored some deals ourselves. We're on the GP side of the deal. We raised uh, 48 million, almost $50 million for those projects. So from a small beginning three years ago, we now are, four of the five operators we work with, we're the largest capital raisers they have. And so what is that for us? You know, we get first looks at deals and we get to walk these properties with them, do all the due diligence, learn a ton. And we invest our own deals and we bring our investor base to those opportunities. And uh, it's, it's really morphed into something way beyond what I anticipated when I started. And there's more things to go. There's more horizons. We got a Thompson Investor Portal now for our investors. It's just really morphed into a lot of fun. So anyway, hopefully that, that's kind of the background. It's, it's a short three years, but primarily focused on three niches, partner relationships. Our biggest value is raising capital and supporting our investor base in these deals and helping the operators fund their opportunities. And that's yeah. kind of so your niche really in this whole thing has been capital raising for deals. And somebody might be sitting at home thinking to themselves, well, how did David go from corporate employee, you know, long-term career to all of a sudden flipping this switch and being able to raise $48 million in year three of this yeah. business of his? Yeah. I mean, how does one do that? And how have you been able to navigate that? 
There's lots of different ideas I have on, on how to get started in the business. Probably the number one thing is instead of trying to do it all myself, you can get motivated. You can read a lot of books and you're just like, okay, I'm just going to go do this, you know? And uh, I just felt that where I was in my life, I didn't want to, you know, like riding a bicycle, you know, you're, you're going to fall off and skin your knees and get back on. But in the world of multifamily, we're talking a lot of money. And uh, I certainly didn't want to put people in deals that I didn't have a lot of experience on myself, or it would be hard to raise capital by myself, just talking to investors. What's your background? I just left high tech. <laughs> but I love real estate. I, I was doing single family and stuff, but I mean, it's a different ball game syndication, right? Different skill sets. And uh, we're basically flipping large apartments and flipping things instead of uh, buying holes and stuff. You know, I think partnering with extras was the best thing. The best decision I made was find people who are doing what I want to do and offer your assistance in some form or fashion, not always for monetary gain. In fact, I wasn't really looking for that. If the guy said raise capital for three months just to get some experience, I would have done it for nothing. But it came with a healthy income component, which was really cool and got me even further motivated if there's an interesting opportunity from the financial side of the business. But I mean, I think that's the key. I see a lot of people maybe partnering with their friends or maybe partnering with uh, you know, people that they like. We're actually, uh, we got, a, it's a big capital day for us. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting that you've been able to carve out a niche for yourself in this world of capital yeah. racing. I mean, when one is first getting started down this rabbit hole of multifamily mm -hmm. investing, they think, wow, how do people like you were at one point, how do people take down 300 unit deals? Right. It's just like, seems yeah. like an unfathomable thing. And right. you are getting into it. So yeah. yeah, we have deals right now. It's pretty common. We're doing deals that are worth $50 million. And so the down the equity raise on that, we just finished one in Dallas. It's a 22 million equity raise. Our team brought 7.4 million into that. And I'm like, that was a record for us, but we're still part of a team. It's, you know, it's hard for you, one company to do 22 million. I mean, you work with operators too. I call them operators. These are people, these are companies that find a deal, optimize the deal, create the value, and it eventually disposition the deal. That can be the sponsor too. Often it's the sponsor, which actually puts together the private placement and recruits in a, in, um, investors to help participate in that. But, you know, essentially what we did was say, okay, well, I started with this one company finding a role on that. And then I realized that when I talk to even experienced companies, they all need capital. And none of them want to rely on one capital source. That would be risky. It'd be like, okay, if Dave said, well, he's really good at raising capital. And he's our business partner. We work with him. We're on the same side of the general partnership. And he does a variety of roles with us. But he is going to bring the capital as a, a very important component of that. And uh, you, know, you just realize you're a valuable player. You're a valuable partner. And they never want to just rely on one capital partner in case I decide the next deal I don't want to do, right? Because I always have that relationship with them that if I don't like it, I bet the deal, right? And you got the deal and make sure it's a good deal for. And I look at it this way, Jacob. If I was going to, first of all, I always have to see the deal, walk the deal with the operator, understand the business plan, and look around at the comp, see if we can make this thing work. And at the end of the day, I'm going to invest in that deal first. You know, I tell my investors, I don't, you know, I'm not going to show you a deal I'm not investing in. And I always started this business with that in mind. I always started, when I started this business, it was friends and family. Like my first deal, like, then I go like, that wasn't really there. And I had to go pay the next layers. Hell, <laughs> this is not really any friends and family. I mean, it is. I mean, there's some still involved, of course, but to grow a business that size, it's, you have to kind of keep layering it. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I think it's, it's where people need a good place to think about because it's a very team sport business syndication multifamily and you don't have to know everything just find a role that that works and go find a partner that you think you like and you can add value to that knows more than you and then 
playing a role on that team, you're going to learn a ton, right? Yeah, sure. Well, now that we understand a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing in the world of real estate investing, that is capital raising, I understand you see a lot of deals and you, you're constantly vetting deals and underwriting deals on behalf of your investors. So what are you seeing in today's marketplace? I know you first got started investing in primarily multifamily and now you've branched out to mobile home parks, still multifamily, just a little different yeah. asset class and then self-storage. So why those different asset classes and just kind of walk yeah. us through what you're seeing in today's environment. Sure, absolutely. And uh, I blog a lot on this and I realized when I started, we'll get to this book later, but I started the blogging always, I look at the blogs, I'm like, you can categorize the blogs. It's around apartments, it's around self-storage, it was around, it got into manufactured home parks. And then we talk about cap raising or just general market stuff. And so I have a financial planning degree. And so I always had this thing about diversification with my investor base. My allegiances to my investor base were first and foremost, but I had great partnerships with the operators. We both need each other, right? But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, we're, we're starting out doing all these deals in Dallas, Texas, apartments, uh, value add, same operator. Okay. So I had investors, return investors do deal after deal. And one day I woke up and like, you know, even I, I don't want to be all that exposed into Dallas, Texas. I love Dallas. But right now, I was ranked in 2019 best market to be in. <laughs> it's probably one or two the last several years. It's yeah. not a bad place. It's a great place to be, right? Uh, but it's just like anything. You want to see other things. I was also doing some research, finding out that it's not just a value-add apartments, self-storage and manufactured home parks. If you go back 25 years, those are like the top three performers in commercial real estate space over 25 years. So they have a really good track record. And they do really well in downturns. I mean, some of them lose money, but nothing like the stock market or nothing like some categories of real estate, like construct new construction or something. Yeah, right. So when I started the business in 2016, my first thought was, we've been in this cycle for a while. Now we're getting into 2019. We're, I don't know. Is, are we in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning of this? Who knows? But if I have investors that are counting on me to make the right decisions, I would like to have them in niches that have a long history of doing well. And why do they do well? Because in downturns, they don't get hit that well that much. So they're kind of like all weather places to put your funds. The second thing was geography. I wanted people to be investing with me and, and I want to be investing in different geographies. So certainly a high concentration in Texas. Texas economy is probably the most dynamic in the country right now. It has been for several years and looks to continue that way. But we do have investments in the Southeast of the U.S. and self-storage specifically. We have investments in Phoenix with mobile home parks and that's going nationwide. And then we have a deal in Albuquerque. So we are, I'm always conscious of diversification by geography and, all, and by operator too. So geography, niche, and by operator. I don't want to have all my, I don't care how great these operators are, how, you know, I've been to their weddings. I, I get really close to them and they're great people, great families, but it's like anything. You don't want someone to just go off the rails and make a bad decision. And what happened to that? What, what, what was the reason for that? So we do want to have a variety of partners that we work with so that we can spread that out. That makes sense. Just like they're working with multiple capital raisers, just like yourself, you want to diversify. And That's a great example. You asked me about the market. I think the, so we did 13 deals this year and I'm sure we'll be busy next year. I don't think there's a bad time to invest. You just have to make sure that what you're investing in relatively good value. You know, we're not going to have values of we had in 2012, 2014. Everybody knows that, but relatively good value. If you're in the strongest markets in a niche that's held up well over time, and the forces, if you look at apartments, if you look at self storage, and especially manufactured home parks, there's converging events and there's trends that are really have the win at the, at the back of these types of asset classes. We are a renter nation. We're going to be a renter nation. I have a daughter graduating from college, computer science. She's going to do well, find a job, but she loves to travel. She, we don't even talk about houses. Like when we were growing up, I'm sure people 
are getting married when they're 18 and they're like, you know, getting a house and starting a family and white picket fence. That's not even a conversation with this generation. No, you know, they're no not at all. They value experiences. They, they have great technology. They can be flexible. There's nothing about, no one's talking about pensions and working for 30 years. You know, they just want experience. They went for this company for a couple of years and get some skills and transfer them to another company. So I don't see that, that, that group really focused on buying a lot of homes, right? That's not their main thing. They want to be in a cool town. They want to be in an area that gives them flexibility. A lot of that is renting, renting, you know, renting apartments, you know. And then boomers, you know, look at boomers, you know, they're uh, either through affordability issues or lock and leave. I want flexibility too. They're going to be looking to downside their big homes. Kids have gone. And so they don't always want to just go back and buy a home. They want that flexibility to travel. Uh, maybe they're getting in more rental uh, situations. Manufactured home parks, it's all about affordability. Affordability crisis, you know, when you are retiring on Social Security and don't have a lot of savings, where are your options to live? And so I grew up in Phoenix, a big retirement community. They have some nice mobile home parks, four five-star parks with gated communities. <laughs> yeah. People are having a ball. And there's also two and three-star parks that people probably wouldn't want to be into. There's not very much amenities, but we can add value and create some value by adding amenities to some of these locations and uh, creating a, you can still value add mobile home parks. You know, maybe not as extensively because, you know, we're not in upgrading interiors of apartment units, but because they usually own their units. But there's a lot of things you can do in these spaces, but we just like the trends. The trends are just saying people need these asset classes to use for themselves. It's not like a discretionary place. This is a play. This is a play people have to live somewhere. And if we can provide a good value for that money, we should be able to do pretty well. Yeah. So when evaluating markets and different asset classes and things like that, you're looking at demographics and market mm -hmm. trends. Like you're saying, yeah. like which generations are doing what, you know, millennials sure. are all about experiences and moving yeah. around and having that flexibility. At the same yeah. time, you've got baby boomers who are sometimes sure. just now hitting retirement or well into retirement years, yeah. maybe downsizing, maybe moving to more walkable cities or walkable right. urban areas. So yeah, all those kind of demographic trends lines up kind of put us in more pushing us towards more of a renter nation as you mentioned yeah absolutely yeah and then of course with the asset classes that's a real problem in our nation is affordable housing right new construction we've got plenty of it but it's class a stuff it's brand new stuff which isn't always the most affordable so yeah combining yeah. those i mean yeah i right. think you're in alignment with finding some pretty good niches there yeah, absolutely. And we can even get, we can even split the niches. Like you're talking apartments, we do a traditional value add, which would be a B class apartment, maybe in the 1980s in a, or in a gentrifying area where we're going to see a demographic or a profile change. And they're looking for, and that's an opportunity to upgrade the, the, the rental units to make them a little bit more enticing in, in the area. But we're also do, um, we're finding an opportunity now, what's called Core Plus, which is these are apartments maybe built only 15, 18 years ago, maybe early 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. They're in A areas, right? They're in A, A minus area, really good areas, typically in the suburbs. But we are able to go in there and create smart units. Like, uh, you know, from your app, you can change the thermostat. You can unlock the door for people if they're delivering something to you and you're not home. Or you want to let a friend in off your app. Right. You know? Yeah. So we're, we're doing that now with a lot of uh, interest and success there because what's cool about those places is they have the nine foot ceilings. They have the resort style pools. They could probably use a, a new, they don't really need a paint job, but they need a new colors. They need a new color scheme, right? And uh, you can do some really cool things. We bring in Amazon package centers now because the staff mm -hmm. is being overwhelmed by all these packages. So now we actually put in an Amazon package center in these places. So you're able to value add even A-class types 
properties now, we call them A minus because maybe they're 15 years old, 17, they're still got the good bones, they're still looking good, and they're still in great areas where people want to live, work, and play. We can do that and compete significantly well against new construction. So we're providing, you can go over here and say, we get to be a very good value proposition. You're getting all of the UBS outlets. You're getting everything that you pretty would want that we can do to the apartment. We can't change walls, but we can open things up and do some cool things. But apartments 15 years old aren't that out of sync. They just need a few things here and there. So that's another play too. So there's little niches within the niche that you can take advantage of. Yeah, sure. So David, when we're talking about, you know, what you can bring to the table in terms of a syndication, many people out there think, well, I don't have capital of my own to bring to the table, maybe a younger investor, a millennial, maybe that younger professional, whoever that may be, maybe they don't have a ton of experience either, you know, being that age range. But this capital raising is a niche that most people potentially could have an avenue of. So what would you tell somebody that might be interested in being a capital raiser for a deal? What are some skills and some characters of that kind of Role. Sure. Well, I think first of all, you don't have to have money to be a capital raiser, which is kind of like oxymoron. Like, what, what, wait a minute, like, oh, what is that guy? He, he raises capital, but he has no capital. Uh, I certainly had some capital, and investors so, certainly like to see you put capital in the deals. But you know, if we're doing 13 deals, see, this is interesting. Sometimes there'll be some investors that say, you know, you should put a substantial portion of your net worth in the deal, and I'm like, they don't understand this business. Okay. Yeah. Every so, deal, every deal, every three months, you know, that's they're doing a deal every three months, and they're putting up a hundred dollars. I mean, that's a lot of money if you add it up. Every year, so they're, they're listen. Put they're, they're playing incentivized. Okay, <laughs> they don't have to tell them. The other thing is, you don't have to even put money in the deal if it's a, if it's not a good time for you. So we typically capital raising is done with a partnership. You know, you've got some folks you're working with, even the general partners. So don't doubt that stop you. We just I just tell people, someone ask me how much are you putting in the deal. I said, well, as a, as a general rule, our general partnership invest in the deal. We're aligned with the investor, and okay, if that's not satisfactory. What you know, kind of what amount? And I usually give them a range. Just like maybe it's a uh, two hundred to three hundred thousand. But that might be about six people or eight people. You know, it's a team doing this, right? And that seems to be sufficient. So you don't have to feel like just because you can't put in the minimum amount on a deal. And even for the capital raise, if the minimum amount on a deal is 50000 we usually let, well, at our discretion, we let investors in at twenty five. So the capital raise team can go in as little as 25 on some of these deals just to feel like you're part of the team and you're doing some things. And that, depending on where if you're in the early 20s, that's a lot of money still, right? Yeah. So you, that doesn't have to stop you right there, okay? So let's get that on the table. The second thing is there's plenty of things. I have tons of articles on my website on capital raising, plenty of podcasts. I, I get interviewed on this topic a lot. I have a book on my website that's free to download. You can read. Just kind of start reading about that aspect and see if that is something that resonates with you. If you like people, if people have told you more of an extrovert, if you're a teacher, if you like educating people, here's the biggest misnomer of all time in this business. I got out of college and a degree in financial planning. And the first thing they told me to do was this really kind of a sales and marketing gig. <laughs> Right. It's an entrepreneurial thing. No one wants to hire you and pay you a salary. You got to go start your business. You're a financial planner. Well, I didn't have those skill sets. I, even though I felt I was a pretty conversational person, I bartended my three. I was like in shock when I started talking. What I had to do, I worked for a big life insurance company to get started. That was the only company that would pay me like an upfront salary, like, like a draw that I would have to pay it back on commissions. And they said, good day, go sell whole life insurance policies and disability. That's where we make all the money. <laughs> like, I, my degree in financial planning was okay, term insurance, invest the difference. It was all about, I wasn't even talking disability. I was like, I was just in more sexy stuff like investing. So I'm like, that lasted like six months. I, I, I literally failed. I literally failed. I, I would, it would be like an E minus minus. I would hire a cold calling company. It was, I was terrible at it. And Jacob, we, we might talk about this in the last call, but 
for 20 years in the corporate world, I stayed away from sales and marketing roles. I loved project management. I was a team leader. I was ended up being a director at the last company I left. I loved teams and managing teams. I didn't realize that I would actually be really good at this part of the business. And as it came to me, I was like, uh, sure, I'll just go talk to people about this. I'm very much interested in it. I really like investing in apartments. And so that's the biggest thing I can tell people. Don't think you need to be a sales. In fact, if you're selling and marketing this thing, you're doing it wrong. So if you like people and you like educating people and you like the story, you can learn how to talk about the story to a sophisticated investor who kind of more wants to cut to the chase versus a newbie investor who is qualified, but they don't really understand what apartment investing is all about. And I had more people like that. I had more people that didn't know what an apartment investing was when I started talking to them, but were qualified. And so that put me in a position of authority. I was more of teaching them in a, in a way that was easy to explain. And an apartment syndication sounds kind of, what is all that? It's really an apartment and we're flipping it. It takes two to five years. That's it. I would make it really simple. And I try to, they try, then they try to understand, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, we got 200 units and we buy these properties, you know, it's 95% occupied. So we can only renovate 10 units day one. But next month, there's leases are coming due. We'll take those people's leases that are coming due and move them to the new ones for another $125 a month. Look at brand new kitchen, everything. Most people will do it. I mean, the high retention, it's like, it's a night and day from these old dungy things to live into the brand new spanking apartment for 125 bucks more. Oh yeah. So it's like a pancake and it takes about two years once we've done two years. Hey, we just told you commercial and properties are based on income. We've increased the income on this property, higher rents over two years. We're done. We've renovated everything two years. Why do we hold it five years? Well, hey, maybe the market's down. We're not going to sell in a declining market. We hold on to it, keep paying out some distributions. So it's a, it was it became a simple story to talk to people about because everybody watched flipping houses on, sh- on their TV. Yeah, of course. I tried to just dumb it down to that. I was like, because that's what we were doing. But people did have a hard time kind of getting through this syndication and big business stuff and how do you do it all. So anyway, getting back to it, I partnered with experts. I ended up being myself and excited about it with controlled passion and learn how to talk to people at their level, wherever they were on how this thing works. And then I just basically said, hey, you know how it works. You've got some liquidity. Let me show you how to do it. Here's the mechanics. I talked with me you know, very simple mechanics, how to get in. Where thing I learned Jacob was playing to your strengths. When I started out, I thought, hey, I might go back to my high tech workers that I work with and hey, where you'd be interested. And I was like, well, Dave, just wasn't yesterday you were over in that cube and now you're over here. <laughs> right? It was like, you know, you're not really an expert, right? Yeah. But, you know, I put that kind of on the back burner. I got a couple people out of that, but I was like, that was, I thought that was going to be my big market, you know? And then multifamily media groups, I was kind of going to those and like, well, that's going to be a good place. And it really ended up being, it wasn't a bad place to start because when you start, you, you want to go everywhere. But instead of a shotgun approach, I realized, well, most of the people were active investors. They didn't want to be passive investors. So that wasn't really a good spot for me. So what my strengths were ended up being was I started blogging. This gets to thought leadership. My mentor said, Dave, attract people to you. You don't cold call. You don't go after people. Attract people to you. How do you attract people? Jacob, you attract people to you. Why? You have a podcast. Mm-hmm. People are interested and in, they're interested in how you do this. You do it well. And you bring on interesting people that they can learn from. And then you consistently do that. You consistently do that. They can count on your show. Same with blogging. So I started blogging. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about blogging. And if that really was, I had to go get a book on blogging. What is blogging? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it looks like I'm just writing something a little shorter, you know? And so now I have like 50 blogs. And that's how a ton of people come to me. It's like, man, it's like, what you're writing is spot on. 
my beliefs spot on. And, and so they'll come and, and I have a website that they land on and they qualify themselves and we have a 30 minute conversation. And now they're on my investor list and we can have some conversations about future opportunities if they qualify. So thought leadership is huge. So if you get in this business, well, like Dave, I have no experience. Okay. What did I say? Go work with someone who's got, who's an expert. Do it for free. You think you're not going to learn something on my first deal. I wrote a book on my first deal. The 10 lessons learned on raising capital. How I raised $1 million in two weeks. Hey, that sounds like a nice jingle. Anybody could come up with that. It was true. And I, I had some ups and downs in that experience. And I just shared it in my book. It's free. It's on, on my... And how, how do you write a book? I, I never thought about writing a book, but someone who wrote a book told me how easy it was. And, and I'm like, I'm doing a second book. So all that comes from just partnering, listening, listen to your podcast, getting around people about mentor, but get around someone that you really like and that you can, that likes to share information with you. Latch on to that stuff. So partnering with experts, you get to learn. And then when you learn, how do my blogs come about? I just, I don't just go create 50 blogs. Okay. That I didn't have to That's a lot of work. It came through experience. It came, and I'm only blogging once a month. I probably should do every two weeks. I'm just too busy. But I, my readers can count on at least once a month. I'm going to put something out there, and you know, I don't just go crazy. Most of them, I have a theme. My, my theme for these three niches. It's going to be around building a business. It's going to be around cap raising. It's going to be around information on the markets. Sometimes I read a book that has nothing to do with real estate, but it has everything to do with self improvement and how to do things better, like that. I mean, I'm kind of into that. So I had a newsletter just go out. I had five books that Bill Gates just read, and I just bought three of them from my international trip. I was like, well, I think you need to read outside of real estate because after a while you get to be kind of boring just talking about real estate. Yeah. You know, I want to be more of a diversified person. So when I learn things, I can bring some of those skills to everything I'm doing, but I'm talking to investors. I'm a little bit more clued in on what's happening because people want a conversation with you. They want to know you're a real person. They want to know you're not this big finance guy over here. What are you doing? You know, No, I'm a real person. I have a family. I'm really into what I'm doing. I'm passionate. I want to educate you. Here's all this free stuff on my website. Here's all the things I would tell you how to do things. I have a mentoring program I started just because people would come to me about capital raising. I'm like, well, I can send them to this person or this person, but it's not the right right fit because that person's going to teach them how to go find a deal and how to go do all this. I'm like, they don't want to do that. They just want to do what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. so I just carved out a piece. And, I, and, I, and so if you're excited about stuff, it's not, you don't overcomplicate it. Just uh, get around experts. Be yourself in this business. You don't have to sell the market. Play to your strengths. I ended up finding bigger pockets was a good but blogging. People would read. I get oh, into yeah. forums. And start answering because I answered all these investor questions. You think my knowledge base was going through the roof. And so I'm, when I'm on bigger pockets, I'm in the, in the department forums, I'm answering all these questions and giving people advice. And then so that's that led to a big play to my strengths was bigger pockets giving me people coming to my website. And the other thing, my wife uh, had a really natural uh, web uh, network too that we really milked. And those two in the beginning, I didn't even think were my strengths. The things <laughs> that I thought were my strengths were not my strengths. And I stopped going to my multifamily meetup group and it sounds bad because maybe I should attend it once in a while because I, I just like, it's not worth my time. It's a 30 minute drive. I sit there and listen to all these people want to be active and do other things. I'm like, that's not my niche, okay? And I got a few investors out of there and they love to have me back and I'd love to talk more, but I had a sales marketing coach just for a couple of sessions. I met at a network and she says, Dave, know where you're, know what's working. And I said, yeah, I remember reading this book called Strengths Finders 2.0. And it was like all about that because when we were growing up, it was always like, hey, focus on your weaknesses, shore those up. And the, 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 the strengths are, that's just natural about that. I, I'd say that's completely wrong. It was like, do you think Michael Jordan or any of these people got super good at what they did because look what happened when he went to play baseball. It didn't work, right? But, you know, he just yeah. tried it, but he loved basketball and he spent a ton of time at it to get really, this is like wake up and got great. Those people that are great work their tail off to be great. It's because they love it. 
And they see when they loving something and they see the results, it just keeps going, right? Because you're like, all of a sudden people are like, hey, that guy really knows what he's talking about. It gives you self-confidence. You want to go do more of it. But if you go over here where people say, hey, that's your kind of your weakness. Unless it's a glaring weakness, don't focus on it. I stopped going to my multi-family meetup groups. I stopped contacting my high-tech people for a while. Now I'm going back to them because the timing's right now. But they wanted to see me out there doing something, making it happen first before I got some legitimacy before I went back. Yeah, right. Well, David, you can tell in your voice, the passion just flows from you. And this is, you know, what you're meant to be doing. You're obviously doing a phenomenal job into some really interesting stuff. And uh, I'm sure 2019 is going to be an interesting year for you with lots of new projects in the horizon. Speaking of, you know, what does the future hold for you? What are some of your goals? What do you want to diversify into? Any new things? Any things that are working for you that you want to double down on? What's the future look like? Well, I think that one thing that uh, as a business, Pros, you know, always got to keep an eye on is uh, are you giving your highest and best use is what? For me, it's probably not project management. It's probably not being a quasi administrator over my investor portal, <laughs> right? <laughs> so as my business grows, I'm going to need some more help. So we also have to look at our processes and tools and, and those kind of things. So I think as your business explodes, you find yourself, especially at small companies, you find yourself doing everything, which is kind of good to kind of see how it all works, but you have a tendency to want to do everything and you need to kind of sit back, delegate, get the right people. So 2019 for me is probably getting a few right people. I could probably have almost a full-time sales and marketing person. I, I said, it's not sales and marketing, but communications, right? Cause I have to get the newsletter, I get the blogs, all this stuff going on. And I have to be a part of some of that, but I'm writing a book. I've got a lot of things going on, but I just can't go all wide. And if you go all wide then you stop figuring out, Oh, I'm not developing my network for my capital, future capital, right? I'm not doing some other things. So I think that's going to be a big focus. The second thing is we're able to bring a lot of capital to, to operators now. So I uh, have great relationships. So I want to kind of go back to those relationships and say, you know, are we optimized here? Uh, we certainly could get a negotiate maybe some better terms. I know we sponsored, so Thompson Investing sponsored a, a deal last year where the operator was just, a, the operator was a self-storage company. They do everything. They find the property, optimize it. We created the PPM and I have a partner in that does all the back office, a company that does all the back office. We handle the PPM, the, the distributions to investors, the K-1 reports. We handle all that. So now it gives me the flexibility to go find more junior operators who are up and coming that I like a lot and are really sharp, but don't have any skill or interest or time to be the capital partner. So we're going to look into those types of relationships this year and maybe bring up one or two junior partners in that aspect. And then niches you asked me about, I go through this all the time. I'm invested in a livestock fund. I'm invested <laughs> in a brewery in Phoenix, Arizona. I just got back from yesterday that we checked out because now we're looking to, we've got a partner who thinks we can franchise the restaurants that where this brewery, this beer pumps through. You know, we've got a couple restaurants uh, there. And uh, so there's a lot of exciting things that I'm involved with on the side, but I certainly haven't exposed my investors to those opportunities. Test the waters there first. Yeah, I'm up, I have a couple of eclectic partners that have a lot of interesting things going on, but I'm like really careful. And I think my investors appreciate that I've stayed kind of in this core area of these three niches. And I read, I, I blog about them, I talk about them, I educate people a lot about them, podcasts, whatever. I do want to stay fresh. And, and if I go into another niche, it'll be because I've researched it well, it's because I've talked about it and been writing about it before we had our first deal. 
where I think I'm going to lose trust with my investor base and who I am and what I'm doing is if tomorrow I wake up and I'm going in three different directions, sure, uh, sure. people are going to get confused. Now, I do it on my own personal portfolio, but I do it in a small way and I kind of put a toe in and I put a little bit in there just to learn about it. But then most of those opportunities, I'm like, I don't really think I need my investors exposed to that stuff. And uh, there's a burger company exploding in Austin doing really well. And last week I was talking to them about hey, what if we created a blind fund? Instead of an investor taking a risk and investing in one of your restaurants, you're going to build five or 10 of these this year. What if we did a blind fund and created this fund? You need 1 million per store. What if we went out and raised $10 million from our investors? And they're actually invested in 10 different stores. But because you know anything about the restaurant business, a couple of stores will blow out the numbers. One or two will be disappointing. And about most of them are about kind of what you thought. Yeah. You don't want to have that one investor, the stinker one, right? <laughs> And if you got into the other one, it's just because of luck. And we really, so I'm looking at doing that potentially with apartments or doing that potentially with self-storage. We can go out and create a fund for a year and just tell our investor, hey, I love self-storage, Dave, but you showed me three or four deals. I don't know which one's the best one. They all look pretty good. And I don't want to be that one that it didn't go very well. I mean, you know, we're not talking about getting killed, but maybe underperforming. Yeah. So I'm looking at that this year, you know, creating some funds. I have some peers that do that with, with these three asset classes. And one guy I just talked to last week, he created a fund and said, okay, it's going to be open for a year. It's about a $10 million, $15 million fund and people can invest in this fund. And we're going to go buy apartments as our core, value add apartments. And we're going to do some self-storage and a little bit of mobile home parks. He's actually doing the same deals I am. He's just putting them deals into a package. And so investors have all of the stuff we talked about, geography, different niches, different operators. That's really attractive to me. I just don't know if I want to do all that. You know, there's a lot of companies. Just do, I, you only have one fund this year. Thompson Investing has one fund. It's this. So I might have an option where you can do some single asset plays if you want. Hey, you, just, you really like this property. I only want to invest in that one. And I might have a fund. This business, I will tell you, as I get into it, there's so many different variations of it. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to start investing overseas or doing. You can just take your business and keep blowing it up to little bits and pieces. And pretty soon, you've got something pretty cool. I think. Yeah, sure. Well, David, it's been a lot of fun just kind of catching up with you. You know, yeah, seeing what you're up to these days. Like I alluded to in the beginning of the show to the audience members, I know you're always up to a lot of new and different and exciting <laughs> stuff. So just wanted to bring you on, catch up with you. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and just kind of sharing your insight. And it's really interesting interesting to see what you're doing. Now, you've actually got a new book on the horizon. So tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I'm going to show it to you because it's in draft form. <laughs> you can see it. Yeah. If you're a new new person looking at books, hey, books don't get on a glossy page right away. You have to go through iterations. So we're going through that. The first book I had out real quick to do was about capital raising. It was, it's on my website. You can freely download it. So it was just my first experience in capital raising. I do want to do another book, something called Rainmaker. <laughs> something kind of cool, but about all other things, you know, take it to another level. That might be the third book. But the second book, I didn't have an investor-focused book. I really wanted something for my investors. Capital raisers, do my investors really care about me raising capital? Well, someone want to find out more about me, that's cool. But I knew there was an audience for just something around my philosophy around investing, why I like these niches. And a lot of it came from the blogs. I had the content. I just need to organize it, add a little bit of history and, and why we like these areas. But that's going to be, a Q1 is when that's going to be released. And uh, I read a book. I'll give you a tip. You probably already know this. A guy named Dan Kinney wrote a book called Book That Business. If you're an entrepreneur first thing you ought to do after you, you get that thing going is write yourself a book. Write a book. It doesn't even have to be long. I mean, I don't know how long this book will be. Again, it's just bringing bigger blogs. Write a book and give it away. I'm not writing a book to make money on the book. I'm writing a book to educate my investors. Yes, they'll believe I have some credibility because I write a book and people, yeah, you write a book, mate. you're credible, must know what's going on. But that drives traffic to you. People will want something to know what you're all about. 
and why I want to do business with you. And so this is what this book's about. What My philosophy around the three niches that we play in, the geography diversification we talked about, the operator diversification, how syndication works, how it all works. So that way, when you get into this field, you know, if you're an investor, what to expect, what you should expect. Yes, I love about that. that. Well, next time we come on, we'll have the book. You can <laughs> Certainly. But I'll probably put it on my website at first. I'll, I'll try to get access to this one into an Amazon um, you know, store or something. Awesome. Well, David, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back on later in the year and uh, see what you're up to and maybe revisit that new book. That sounds good. So I know you put this out to your readers, but it's thompsoninvesting.com where you can pick up some blogs and uh, download the book. And uh, just thanks so much for having me, Jacob. It's great uh, getting back with you and seeing how you're doing. And uh, thanks for having me on the show today. I appreciate yeah, it. you bet. So, hey, just real quick, if our audience members want to connect more with you, find you, the best place to do that is at thompsoninvesting.com. Perfect. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, David, hey, thanks so much. Have a good day. Thanks, Jacob. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, David Thompson. As you can tell, David is very passionate about real estate investing and helping other people invest in real estate themselves. To learn more about what David is doing, you can visit www thompsoninvesting.com. That link is in the show notes for you to find. Well, hey, if you haven't yet, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. Let me know what you're liking about this show, maybe your favorite episode or your favorite guest appearance. I love hearing your feedback and it helps the show. So if you haven't yet, please go do that. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.